0: The following sermon was delivered in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org.
1: We are really, really grateful for this ministry of Jews for Jesus. They're coming to put on a presentation that explains to us in, in a very effective way the role of Christ in the Passover. If you remember the last time that Jesus, we call it the Last Supper, the last time he took of partook of this uh, supper. He instituted the, the Lord's Supper, which we partake of once a month. And uh, he was the Passover lamb, and that's what we're going to discover this morning. So uh, please give your attention to Steve and his lovely wife.
0: Shalom. Shalom. Thank you. Now you are indeed welcoming a nice Jewish boy and girl to your home. And we appreciate so much, Pastor Frank, the fact that you've had us back again. We always feel like we're coming home when we come here tonight. Knightson. And we're not that far from home because we live in Walnut Creek. Um, and as you know, we represent Jews for Jesus. And uh, Janie will tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. Um, you've had, I want to say the privilege, maybe I shouldn't say the privilege, but you've had the pleasure of having my brother here before, who is also a part of our ministry. And, um, and today I am sharing with you the presentation, Christ and the Passover. So what you see before you this morning is a typical table setting found in millions of Jewish homes throughout the world at Passover. There are three things that I'd like for us all to see here this morning. One is Christ, the bread of life. Two is Christ, the Lamb of God. And three are the elements of redemption found in the Passover. Once again, that's Christ, the bread of life, Christ, the Lamb of God, and the elements of redemption found in the Passover. If you have your Bibles with you still, which I expect you do, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22. And I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 13. Now, I love this. You know what? It reminds me of being in my own home church. Because I've been to so many churches where when I ask people to turn in their Bibles, I don't see any Bibles out there. But I'm looking out there, and I'm seeing all of you turn in your Bibles, and that is wonderful. Now, I am reading from a New American Standard version this morning. But anyway, just so you know, I'm reading from the book of Luke, chapter 22, and it will be verses 7 through 13. Now, all four of the Gospels give an account of the Passover. But the book of Luke is unique. And the reason why I say it's unique is because it stresses something. If you listen to me as I read, or if you happen to be reading along with me, you'll notice one particular word that's mentioned four times in this short passage. Again, I'm beginning in verse 7 of Luke chapter 22, where it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Peter and John, and he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they departed and found everything, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, before I tell you the one word that was mentioned four times in that short passage, I want to ask you a few questions. You know, one of the things that you'll discover about me this morning, if you didn't already know this, is that I'm someone who believes in congregational participation. You see, I do not believe for one moment that Christianity is a spectator sport. So I want your involvement with me this morning. And while I didn't talk to Pastor Frank about this, I'm going to be asking questions Some of the responses need to be verbal. That's not a problem for any of you, right? You guys speak in church, I can tell. Some of the responses actually just require that you raise your hand to show me that you know what I'm talking about, and that's how I'll begin this morning. Here's my first question. How many of you recognize the passage of Scripture that I just read as being from the time when Jesus was just about to enter the city of Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion? How many of you recognize that? Okay, practically all of you. Now, how many of you also know that in Jesus' day in Jerusalem, it's said that there lived about a million people? Oh, well, a few of you, but not many. Now that you know, all of you, both of those things, don't you think it's strange that Jesus would have gone ahead, as he did in that passage of Scripture, and told his disciples to go and find one man, in the city of Jerusalem, who was carrying a pitcher of water. Do you think that's strange? Sorry? It's not strange. The reason why it's not strange is because in Jesus' day, it was women's work to carry water. Oh, so you see, when the disciples came upon that one man carrying water, they knew that they'd come upon the right person, whom they were to follow and where they were to, quote, unquote, Prepare the Passover. The word prepare or preparation was the one word mentioned four times in that short passage. Preparation for the Passover today may begin one week in advance, two weeks in advance, even a month in advance. And what will happen at this time will be that the houses must be cleansed. Now, they'll not only have to be cleansed of your usual dust and dirt, but they'll also have to be cleansed of a substance known as leaven, This is a piece of unleavened bread. We call it matzah. Now, how many of you know what the Apostle Paul says that leaven usually represents? Sin. Sin. Being unleavened means that the bread is without sin. Therefore, in a sense, this bread should remind us of our Lord Jesus, who also is unleavened without sin. Now, this is not only the holiday of Passover, but it's also the feast of unleavened bread. And it's for eight days that this is the only type of bread which we may eat in a Jewish home. This means that you have to get rid of a few things, such as your hostess Twinkies, your Wonder Bread, your apple fritters, and even your Oreo cookies have to go. And let me tell you, if you're a die-hard Oreo cookie eater like I am, Passover can be a traumatic experience for you. <laughs> Now, let me tell you something else. This may make some of you happy and others of you sad. Do you know that in a Jewish home, it is not the woman's responsibility to see that the house is clean? I was expecting to see a lot more big smiles on the faces of women, although I do see some. But, you know, before you get too excited, ladies, I must tell you, if you're not Jewish, it does not apply to you. Let me tell you, I just woke up the men. And I also have to tell you, in my home today, and in the home of many of my Jewish brethren, the lady of the house will still do much of the hard house cleaning. Amen. It's not your once a week kind of cleaning that gets done at this time, it's a real special cleaning when the whole house is cleaned from top to bottom the walls, the floors, the cupboards, the cabinets. The basements, the attics, you name it, gets cleaned. In fact, people paint their home at this time. In fact, where do you think the spring cleaning comes from? If not, the Passover. Well, you see, because it is the man's responsibility to see that the house is clean, the day before Passover, the mother will leave a token piece of leaven, maybe the breadcrumbs, from that morning's toast someplace in the house for the man to find. That night, the father will come home from work And he'll take his youngest son on what we in Jews for Jesus call a GI inspection. They take some really strange cleaning utensils, such as a wooden spoon, a feather, and a white linen napkin. And they'll go throughout the house, and they'll search out the leaven. And they'll look high and low, under the tables, all around the house. Maybe they'll come to the windowsill, and the father will see the breadcrumbs sitting on that windowsill. And what he'll do is he'll take the feather, he'll sweep the crumbs into the spoon, then, being careful not to drop any of it, he'll wrap it all in this white linen napkin. Then the father and his son will proceed to go to the center of town, to the local synagogue, where they'll find other men and their sons. And they'll be waiting around a huge bonfire. And they'll be waiting. And they'll be waiting. And they'll be waiting for the rabbi to come. You see, once the rabbi arrives, he'll say a blessing over all of these things, and all the men will toss it into the fire. Thus, at this point, the houses will be considered hygienically clean. Then the father will go home, take off his jacket if he's wearing one, and he'll put on something that looks like this. This is called a kittle. It's a white Kingly robe. You see, in Judaism, and by the way, kittle is spelled K I T T E L. And it's a white kingly robe. You see, in Judaism, white symbolizes royalty. It's also a symbol of purity and joy. Not purple, as in many churches, but white. In addition to putting on this robe or this kittle, he'll also pick up a cap that looks like this. Now, this is called a mitre or a cantor's cap, and if placed on the head properly, it should resemble a crown. For you see, the man is considered to be the king of his house, and his wife is considered to be his queen. Then he proceeds to pick up a book that looks like this. Now, this is called a Haggadah. Can you all say that? That sounds like the first shalom. We're going to try that again, please. Remember, this is congregational participation Class 101, right? So, Haggadah. Much better. Haggadah means the telling, or the telling of the story of Passover. The Father will open this to the first page. Now, I realize that some of you may be thinking that I'm opening this book backwards. But if you look at this book carefully, you'll see it's beautifully illustrated. It tells the whole story of Passover. It has songs and prayers within. And one of its characteristics is that it's a book that's written both in Hebrew and in English. The English portion, of course, is written from left to right. The Hebrew portion is written from right to left. You tell me, which has been around longer, Hebrew or English? Hebrew, of course. Now, the Father turns to the first page. This is what he reads. Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to search out the leaven." All manner of leaven that is in my possession, that I have not observed, searched out, or had cognizance of, shall be regarded as null and be common property, even as the dust of the earth. Thus, at this point, the houses are not just considered hygienically clean, but they're considered spiritually clean as well. And it's at this time that we can begin what's called the Seder. Now, Seder means service or order of service. As we begin the Seder, we first need to light the candles. But before we light the candles, I have a few more questions. First question is this. Up until this point, who's been doing all the hard work? The woman, right? And who's been having all the fun and getting all the credit? The ma- well, that's not fair, is it? <laughs> Pastor Frank, do I see you shaking your head Yes. Are you the only man who thinks it's fair? Who else thinks it's fair here? You think it's fair. I got a job for you, buddy. Just wait. It's not fair. And it's only appropriate that the woman should light the candles to bring in the Passover. For you see, it wasn't through the seed of man or the will of man that the light of the world came in. But rather, it was through the seed of woman and the will of God that Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world. So I've asked my wife, Janie, to come. She is going to light the candles, chant the blessing, and then I'll continue.
1: I'll continue. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melet ha'olam Hashem pishonu b'mitzvotah Betzivanu lahadlik ne She'el pe'istah Amein Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to light the lights of Passover. Amen.
0: Amen. Now you see before you four cups. Each one of the cups is taken at an appropriate time during the Passover. Each one of the cups has a specific name. The four cups by themselves represent a fourfold promise. That fourfold promise is found in the book of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And while we won't look there this morning as a group, if you're taking notes, and I welcome you're doing that, you might like to write down that scripture reference and look it up later on. Now, normally in a Jewish home, at each place setting, you wouldn't find four cups. You'd only find one cup. And that one cup would get filled four different times during the actual Passover Seder. But I've placed four cups here, so that I could point out their four different names as well as the four different times that they're taken. The first cup is known as the cup of blessing. The second cup is called the cup of affliction or plagues. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup is called the cup of halal or praise. Going back to this first cup, this is called the cup of blessing. And a blessing is chanted over the cup. This is how it goes. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. This first cup, known as the cup of blessing, many times today is confused with the communion cup, which Jesus passed amongst his disciples at that last supper, which incidentally, as pastors mentioned, is a Passover celebration. But no, truly, this is just the cup of blessing. Now you see before you what's commonly called a Seder plate. If you look at this plate closely, you'll notice that it has six compartments to it. The six compartments correspond to the items that are found here on the table. Normally, the items are in little glass dishes, and they're placed right on the plate. But in order for you to see what the plate looks like, that's why I've kept the items off to the side. At this point, I'd like to explain the items to you and tell you what the rabbis say they represent. This first item is called karpas, greens, usually parsley, celery, or lettuce. Now the rabbis tell us that the greens are to represent life. This next item is not something that is found on the Seder plate, but is on the table at Passover. All it is is ordinary salt water. And the rabbis say that the salt water is to represent tears. At the appropriate time, we're told to take from the greens, which represent life, dip them into the salt water, which represents tears, and eat. Because the rabbis say that life is immersed in tears. This next item... Bitter herbs, Ooh. you call it horseradish, we call it Jewish clariton. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have sinus problems, but if you do, after the service, come up and take one whiff of this, and I promise you'll be cleared up for a couple hours. Now, the rabbis say that this bitter herb is to represent the bitterness that my ancestors suffered while in bondage in Egypt. And at the appropriate time, we're told to take a piece of the unleavened bread and then we're told to take a good, healthy portion, usually about a tablespoonful. Now, I normally like to ask for adult volunteers at this time. And of course, you can understand why I would do that. And most often, I won't get an adult volunteer, but I don't usually have a problem, and the reason why I say that is because I think that I always find men who think it's fair for the women to do all the hard work. So I generally will like to invite those gentlemen to come up and partake. But in our case this morning, we not only had the gentleman sitting in the back, but we have our pastor. So I don't know if we should make a contest of this or if we should have them both come up. What do you all think? Whoa. Now I was wondering, are you his wife? What do you think? (laughs) I think you're going to get a pass today lucky man you are anyway and you know what pastor you're getting a pass too you're welcome anyway we're told to take a tablespoonful well they will but i won't you know if you take that much horseradish at one time a strange physiological reaction comes over you you begin to cry tears roll down your face now why It's because it's to remind us of the bitterness that my ancestors suffered while in bondage in Egypt. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment. Listen, I hope that my humor is not insulting or offending anyone through my use of it. But what you need to know is that the Passover, as you can see, is an object lesson. The Jewish people have been celebrating Passover now for 3,500 years. And it's through the use of these various objects that we've been able to hand down the truths of the Passover from generation to generation. To generation. The other thing that you need to know, and you're already seeing some of this, is that there is quite a bit of heaviness surrounding the Passover, but along with the heaviness is a lot of great joy. And so that's why I use humor, and I hope that it, again, doesn't offend anybody. That bitter herb is to represent the bitterness that my ancestors suffered while in bondage in Egypt. This next item is what we call charoset. Charoset is usually a mixture of chopped up apples, nuts, raisins, honey, a little bit of wine, giving it a really sweet flavor. It's normally all chopped up together. It normally becomes a dark brownish color. And the rabbis say that this sweet mixture is to represent the mortar that went into building the pyramids and the storehouses for Pharaoh. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, how could something that would taste so sweet represents such bitter labor. I mean, after all, it's easy to understand how the greens can represent life. The salt water, tears. Even that bitter herb, bitterness. But why would something that would taste so sweet represent such bitter labor? Well, you know what the rabbis say. They say that even the bitterest of labor tasted sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near, the haroset. The next element is a hard-boiled roasted egg. Now, this hard-boiled roasted egg is to represent the daily temple sacrifice. Let me explain what I mean. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Now, the temple was the only place where the Jewish people were allowed to make a sacrifice. When the temple was destroyed, the Jewish people could no longer make a sacrifice. Therefore, they've taken the symbol of an egg. Now, what are you talking about, you're thinking? Well, think about this. How many times a day does a chicken normally lay an egg? Once, right? And usually when? The morning. The hard-boiled roasted egg is to represent the daily temple sacrifice given once a day in the morning and roasted with fire. The next element is a bitter root, usually an onion, Or a horseradish root. Now, the rabbis tell us that this bitter root is to represent the way that we come into the world. You see, it's through sin and pain that we enter the world. Therefore, this is to represent the bitter root of life. The final element normally found on a Seder plate is this. And this is an actual shank bone of a lamb. And it's to represent the lamb that was slain for us at Passover. Now today, my traditional Jewish people don't eat lamb at Passover. And the reason why they don't eat lamb at Passover is because today we have no more temple. With no more temple, we have no place to make sacrifice. Therefore, Jewish people, traditional Jewish people, don't eat lamb at Passover. The rest of the year, they will eat lamb, not at Passover. We, however, as Jewish believers in Jesus, we do eat lamb at Passover. You see, for us... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed once and for all through Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? Amen. Now we come to the second cup. And what was this called? Affliction or plagues. Very good. You know, I'm giving you an awful lot of material. I don't expect you to remember everything I'm sharing with you, although there will be an exam before you leave today. No, not seriously. But if you can take with you a couple of things when you leave that you didn't know before you came, that would give me satisfaction. This is called the cup of affliction or plagues. At first, we don't drink from the cup, though eventually we do. At first, what we do is we take a finger and we drop a drop for each one of the plagues which God brought upon Pharaoh. And the plagues went something like this. Blood, frogs, hail, lice, flies, moraine, boils, locusts, darkness, and death to the firstborn. Let's recall that first Passover. You know, God never was, nor is he today, nor will he ever be a partial God. Yet he brought ten plagues upon Pharaoh, and after each one of those plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, the tenth and the final plague was to be the slaying of the firstborn. Not just of Pharaoh, but of all of Egypt, all of the beasts, and all of the Hebrews. But God, not being a partial God, made a way by which all could be saved. You see, he commanded Moses to tell all the people to take a yearling lamb without spot or blemish, to take the lamb and to slay it and to collect its blood in a basin, then to take a green, spongy material, hyssop to be exact, to dip the hyssop into the blood and to place the blood on the two side posts and the top lintel of the door. That's the two side posts and the top lintel of the door, thus sealing the house with the blood of the lamb. The night of Passover came and the death angel flew, and he came upon the houses that were sealed with the blood of the Lamb, and he, he passed over. That's where the name of the holiday came from. Now at this point, we come to what unfortunately for many of my people today is the most important part of the Passover. And I say unfortunately because it's the meal. And it's not that the meal isn't a wonderful time of feasting and celebration. The problem is that too much emphasis has been placed on the meal rather than on the rest of the beauty and the significance of the Passover. Now, before I tell you the kinds of things that you'd get to eat at Passover, I want to share with you one of the many traditions. This is known as the tradition of the matzotash, or matzah bag. Remember, I'm calling it a matzotash, or matzah bag. Now, look at this because it's one unit. It's one matzotash. It's one matzah bag. Yet it has three compartments to it. Notice one, two, three. Now, normally, inside each one of these compartments, you'll find a piece of matzah. And if you were to ask two or three rabbis what the unity represented, you might get two or three different answers. One might say that it represents the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another might say that it represents the order of worship, the priests, the Levites, and the people. We, however, as Jewish believers in Jesus, feel that this matzah this unity, represents our triune God, God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, before the meal begins, the Father will take from the middle piece of matzah. And who would that represent? The Son. He'll take it, and He'll break it. The smaller portion, He'll put back in the matzatash. This larger portion, this is very important. This larger portion is known as the afikomen. Afikomen is a Greek word which means dessert, or that which comes after. The father will take it, and what he'll do is he'll wrap it in a piece of white linen. Then he'll hide it, or if I might, bury it till later on in the service. Now, you may be wondering the significance of those pillows besides the fact that they hide the offi'komen. Well, if you'll remember that first Passover with me again, you'll remember that God commanded the people to have their loins girded, sandals on their feet. They were to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. In fact, the Jewish people at that first Passover, they partook standing up. Why? Because they were in terrible fear that at any moment they would be sent out of the land. Well, those pillows represent the fact that today, as we participate in the Passover, we can do so sitting back, reclining at table, because we don't have the fear that one such as Pharaoh would usher us out of the land. Now, at this point, let me give you an idea of the kinds of things that you'd get to eat at Passover. You might start off with appetizers, and you'd have such wonderful things as chopped chicken livers and onions. Eggs and onions. Gefilte fish and onions. Are are you noticing the common theme here? Then there's a soup course, nice chicken soup with nice fluffy matzo balls. Then there's a main course with a number of different types of meats and vegetables. You may have chicken. You may have roast beef, you may have turkey, you may have all three, because you know what? Passover, Passover is like the greatest feast of the year for Jewish people. By the way, if you have Jewish friends, okay, if you have Jewish friends, and they've not invited you ever for a Passover, you need to remind them that it's their obligation to invite those into their home who have no place else to go. And then you get a chance to share with them what you know about Christ in the Passover as well. Now, in addition to all these things, you also have a bunch of great desserts. But the Passover can't be complete without everyone taking from the Avikomen. But it was hidden. In a traditional Jewish home, a Passover seder like this would take between two and four hours. And the reason for its length is that much of the Haggadah is read, the cups are taken, the elements are explained, the meal is participated in, and so by this time, there isn't anyone who can sit still at the table any longer, but especially the children. So a game was developed in the centuries following Christ's advent here on earth, known as the Komen hunt. And it's at this time that the children are sent throughout the house to search out the Komen. The child who finds it gets a chance to bring it back to the head of the house, who will pay a reward for it. Once the reward has been paid, the head of the house will take it, he'll unwrap it, he'll bless it, and then he'll break it. And he'll break it into at least olive-sized pieces, passing it around to the people sitting at the table with him. And you see, it has to be in at least an olive-sized piece. Because the rabbis say that nothing smaller than an olive-sized piece may be blessed. Well, you know, Jesus took this bread, at that last supper, he took this bread after dinner, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me, and all his disciples ate. Now, I want to point out a few things about this bread that I think you'll find very interesting. The first thing I said about it before was that it was unleavened, right? Right? And that should have reminded us of Jesus because he too is unleavened without sin. Then, you notice, I took the middle piece of matzah. I broke it. A portion of it I wrapped in a piece of white linen. Then it was hidden or buried for a time. Then it was brought back after having been paid for with a price. Who else do you know who was unleavened, broken, wrapped in white linen, buried for a time, brought back after having been paid for with a price. And then on top of all of that, I don't know how well you'll see this from where you're sitting, but look at this bread in front of the candle. Hopefully you'll be able to see that it's striped and it's pierced. Can you see that from where you're sitting? The bread is striped and it's pierced. Take a look. In the Gospel of Isaiah, and I always call it gospel since it means good news, in the Gospel of Isaiah... The 53rd chapter, it speaks of one who was to come, who was to be pierced through for our transgressions. He was to be bruised for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and with his stripes we we are healed. Who does this bread remind you of if not our Lord Jesus? And then we come to the third cup, and this is called the cup of redemption. And today the head of the house will take this cup, He'll chant a blessing as I did earlier. He'll drink from the cup. He'll pass it around to all those sitting at the table with him, and all will drink of the cup, and all will recall the redemption from out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Well, Jesus took this cup as well at that last supper, that Passover celebration. He took this same cup along with this bread after dinner. He blessed it. He poured it out for his disciples, and he said, Take, drink. This is my blood, which has been poured out for you in the New Covenant, the New Testament. This do in remembrance of me. And all his disciples drank. And all his disciples recalled the redemption from out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. But you know what? They just first began to understand that he was speaking of a far greater redemption, that being from out of the bondage of slavery to sin. Now, I'm not sure how many of you recognize what I just pointed out to you But in case you didn't, what I've just pointed out is the typical communion service right within the traditional Jewish Passover. How unfortunate that more of my own Jewish people don't recognize the truth of Christ within their own Passover. Now, you may be wondering the significance of this cup. This is Elijah's cup. And in Jewish tradition, it's said that Elijah must come first to usher in the coming of the Messiah. And you know, every year, we have a full place setting with food and drinks set out for Elijah. And every year at the end of the meal, the children are sent to the door to open it. For it said, Elijah will come through the door and take from the cup. And that's going to be the way we're going to know that the Messiah is coming that year. Well, guess what? Every year, we have disappointed children and disappointed adults. Why? Because Elijah does not come. We feel, however, that one has already come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, that being John the Baptist. One day John was baptizing at the Jordan River, and he beheld a bronze-bearded Jew coming over the face of a mountain. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the what? The sin of the world. John the Baptist truly was our Elijah. And then we come to the fourth and the final cup. And this is called the cup of Hallel, or praise. Hallel being a shortened version of? Hallelujah. And it's at this time that we sing praises to our God, not only for the redemption from out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, but that greater redemption, that being from out of the bondage of slavery to sin. In closing this portion of the service, and before I ask my wife to come and say a few words, I'd like to use a couple of verses of scripture. You don't need to turn there. If you're taking notes, they're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, And they're verses 7 and 8. And I like to use these verses because I believe that they capture the entire spirit of the Passover. See if you agree with me. Beginning in verse 7, it says, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Janie,
1: on Jews for Jesus staff for about I guess you could say forty-two years, because we're we're um, or so. <laughs> we've been married. We've been married a little over forty and a half, and we met as singles in our Los Angeles branch and Steve became my best friend in L.A., and we ended up getting married, and we've been serving the Lord together ever since, and we are grateful. It's been quite an adventure, and I would love for you to open up this brochure if you've got it. Um, There is a little tear-off, and you could really help us by doing something. If you would tear that little portion off and fill it out, you would really be a, a huge help to us. And whether you're getting the newsletter or not, um, there's a little box here to let us know that you are. We would just be, love to have you reaffirm your interest. We know that you are no stranger to Jews for Jesus, but I'm thinking maybe there might be a visitor or two. How many, is there anybody here who has never heard of Jews for Jesus before? Raise your hand. just. Okay, my goodness. Okay, there are a couple. Well, I, Jews for Jesus started about... Mm, what would you say, Steve, about, what, 2,000 years ago? I hope that doesn't surprise any of you. You see, back then in the, back then, when the early church was, was going and God was beginning to move, the question what then wasn't, can you believe in Jesus because he's the Jewish Messiah? No, no, no. The question was, good grief. All these Gentiles are starting to come to faith in Jesus. What do we do with them? What, what can we do? Is it right? In fact, there was a big church council and if if you look in your bibles later in Acts 15, I'll cut to the chase. They decided that Gentiles for Jesus is a great idea. So welcome to God's family, y'all. We're glad to have you. Seriously, our ministry started here in the San Francisco Bay Area in 1973. And Moish Rosen, who was our founder, had the mimeograph machine, and he gathered a bunch of young Jewish believers who had come to the Lord in the Jesus movement and taught them the Bible and helped them use their creative gifts for God's glory. And as Steve and I look over what's happened over this last, you know, what, 40-plus years or so, we are amazed because we have gone gone from a small ministry in the San Francisco Bay Area to an international ministry that's operating in 24 cities and 14 countries around the world. So we would love for you to stand with us. Some of you already are, and we are grateful for that. And this is what this little little slip of paper will, will do. Um, when you, when you come by the table later, because we have a table over there on the side, you can hand that to us, or you can put it in the offering. But we want you to be involved. Here's why. God is doing some amazing things in our ministry. Uh, we just came off a two-and-a-half-week tour where we were sharing this presentation in Mississippi and Alabama, and we had a couple of fly-ins. And I want to tell you the most encouraging thing that happened while we were gone um, we were both pretty travel weary. We both had been sick on the road and we it was, we were just praying, "Lord, help us to do our best in each in each church because we were just tired and needed the Lord's help." And in Akron, Ohio, Steve and I were at a church he had been he had been to about 10 years before, and the night that he'd been there, he he told me he remembered very vividly that there were a couple of Jewish people who had been invited by their friends. Who had come and listened with great interest and one of them made a beeline for Steve at the table afterwards his name was Barry and he started asking Steve all kinds of questions and they had quite an intensive conversation and Barry went away after his questions were answered and Steve left with a prayer on his heart Lord work in his heart so you can imagine our delight when at the table after the presentation Steve is just talking with a brother in the church and telling him you know. I never, I never, I don't know what happened to him, but I was so glad that Jewish people were invited to the congregation. And somebody walked up who looked very familiar and said to him, Hey, I'm the guy you were talking about, and I came to the Lord two months after you were here. It was such a joy to us to see Barry plant not only the fact that he had come to faith, but he was planted solidly in that congregation, serving God joyfully with his family. Hallelujah. And that's what it's all about. That's why Jews for Jesus as a ministry is needed, where a uniquely Jewish testimony is able to help Jewish people see it's not only okay to believe in Jesus, it's your birthright. So we want to ask your help in a number of different ways. The first way is for you to pray for us. And the best way that you can is if you receive the monthly newsletter, we'll come to your door. 200 of us every month, you don't have to feed or house us, we'll come in the form of our newsletter. There's prayer requests, answers to prayer, and it would help us for you to be praying for us. Uh, The second way is to... To allow us to help you, we've got a table over there, a lot of free literature, a few things not so free. Come after if you have questions and talk with us. We'd love to get to know you better. And if you've got some specific issues or Jewish people you want us to minister to, please, this is a time where we can connect. Um, And finally, you'll be able to uh, give a gift to Jews for Jesus. You can make your check out to Jews for Jesus if you feel led to give. And if you put the amount here, we can give you a tax-deductible receipt and a thank you note. That's all I want to say about that, except that we appreciate your hearts for the Lord, your desire to serve him. We're so grateful that you give us the opportunity to be here. Our most, our most exciting thing that's happening in our ministry is that, in the land of Israel, we have 40 missionaries on station. God is doing things, so we do, do appreciate and need your prayers for God to guide our leaders wisely that we might really lift up the banner of Yeshua in a way that not just Jewish people will see, but all people will see that he's king and Lord and they need him. Anyway, I'm going to do a song for you, and I want to thank you for your love and your encouragement. Our Messiah said, In the world, you're going to have trouble, but I'm giving you my peace. Shalom will fill your days Peace, peace, peace I give My peace I give to you Not as the world will give My peace I leave with you So do not let your hearts be troubled do not let them be afraid the peace I give is not like the world's it will not go away the peace I give is not like the world's it will not go away it will not go away yours today Thank you so much for having us. The Lord bless you. Pastor Frank? To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org